everyone. Uh, really excited to share with you an interview I just filmed with Jason Colbert. He's the director of research over at Dawson Securities and uh, has had a 20 plus career on Wall Street within the healthcare space. Um, he actually started at Solomon Smith Barney's back in the day and uh, began his career as a chemist at Sharing Plows, one of the big pharmaceutical companies actually in Japan. Um, we, I wanted to actually get caught up with him in terms of, okay, 24 hours after the negative J&J &J news in terms of putting a pause on the vaccine, what are the conversations that he's been having over the past 24 hours? How should we interpret this news? Um, and, and I wanted to also get a bit of understanding in terms of, you know, again, the differences with a Moderna and a Pfizer versus a and j and an AstraZeneca and, and why we're seeing some of those blood clots. And I think, you know, one of the important takeaways is in any type of treatment, he talks about this, whether it's cancer or something else or a vaccine, everybody's body reacts differently. And I think that that was, a, uh, you know, a really important point to, to bring out. And he kind of talks about how that happens. Um, and then we also, of course, talk about stocks. <laughs> so I uh, talked about um, two microcap companies uh, in depth that are really uh, COVID related. Um, one is um, a testing for your immunity. They develop a product that, you know, you, me, we can test how, how strong our immunity is, which I think is going to be really interesting as well. And just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Uh, Jason, so great to be able to be with you um, and, and to get caught up here a little bit. There's been obviously so much news day to day in terms of COVID and, and um, the various vaccines. So let's just start right there because obviously it's been 24 hours or so since we've heard the negative news. Um, or at least that's how it's being interpreted uh, as it relates to J&J. &J. So over the past 24 hours, what have you been thinking about? Who have you been talking to? And, and what's kind of the takeaway now? Yeah, great, great questions. And certainly COVID's in the news and the J&J vaccine is in the news. And we'll drill down and we'll get a little bit into that. But I want to start with a big picture idea, which is in medicine, when did one size fit all? So for example, if you had breast cancer, well, you don't just get a standard treatment, right? What kind of breast cancer? How big are you? How small are you? Or what's your diet like? You know, we need to understand immunologically exactly what your profile is. Uh, I, I bring that up because it's something that's touched my family and mm -hmm. we had a great outcome, but... Mm -hmm. What I came to realize is that we're in a new era of personalized medicine, and rarely does one size fit all. I mean, very, very rarely. If you think about cholesterol drugs, there are many, many different cholesterol drugs, and often a person will take one drug, and maybe they get a lot of muscle soreness, so their physician will switch them to a different drug, and they don't get muscle soreness. So what we're seeing is that we as human beings are not all the same. And I'm not just talking about within a particular ethnicity. 
right? If we talk about Caucasians, there are skinny people and there are bigger people. There are people who maybe get more colds and people who don't get colds. So what's unusual is we're trying to treat a disease, a pandemic that's sweeping around the globe. I personally believe that this is a zootropic disease, meaning it was it originated in animals and it jumped to man. How it jumped to man? Did it escape a weapons lab in Wuhan? It, it, is it an accidental release? Did it come from the wet market? I, I, I can't say. Other people will determine that. But what's clear is our bodies haven't evolved to fight this disease. So what we're doing is something new that's never been done before. We went in and we sequenced the genes of this virus and we have created a vaccine against it. Okay, that's really interesting. Uh, I'm specifically thinking now about the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. There was called mRNA vaccines where you literally go in, determine a gene sequence, and then you try to find a region of that virus that's conserved. And this is a very, very important point. The way I think about what is a conserved virus, what does that mean, is I think about a basketball. Imagine a big basketball. Now imagine that that basketball is not just one solid piece of rubber, but it's a thousand little tiny balls all together with like a needle and thread. And you have, a thousand threads with a thousand balls, that's your basketball, and they're all tied together. So every time you bounce the ball, the positions of any individual balls can move around. So is there a conserved region on the virus where the gene sequence doesn't move around? Okay, so that's one question. And another What would that do though? But Jason, what would that do? Is that what we want or is that not what we don't want? So, so what we want is we'd like to find some area. So if I go back to my analogy of the basketball, how about where you fill the air in? That area doesn't change. So if I could block that area, I know that even if you bounce the ball and the little balls move around, the valve is still the same. So what you'd ideally like when you create a vaccine is to target a conserved region. Why? Because as the vaccine goes through natural mutations, right? It, it divides, it replicates and favorable mutations will spread. As it mutates, it could get a mutation that renders the vaccine obsolete. But if the vaccine targets a conserved region, that doesn't mutate, then regardless of the other mutations that occur that maybe make the vaccine, that maybe make the virus more lethal, maybe make it more contagious, maybe change the way it affects the body. But if my vaccine always targets that conserved region, then it should be effective against all of those viral mutations. Right. So that that's that was one of the goals when Project Warp Speed came about. And it's one of the goals always for vaccine developers. Now, let's were, think, they, sorry. Were, they were they successful at that? I mean, so, we're good, good question. And that re I'm going to I'm going to get into that. And, and were they successful? But I want to snap us back to the flu. Did you get your flu shot this year? You know, I never do. 
Well, that's interesting. And, and God <laughs> bless you. Some people feel like I don't need to. Um, I, I'm one of the people that I do get my flu shot every year. But you know what? I got my flu shot this year. I got it last year. I got it the year before. How come I have to get a new flu shot every year? Because the dominant strains of flu change. So the flu shot is constantly the flu vaccine is constantly being rebuilt for the flu variants. Are we going to see COVID variants where you're going to need a new COVID vaccine a year from now or two years from now? That's a question. Developers believed when they looked at the COVID virus that there was a couple of very unusual things about it. And that's why it appears to virologists that I've spoken with that something funny, there's something funny about this virus. Now, sometimes when viruses jump from animals to man, you, you could see those funny things. Certainly if it was experimented on and accidentally escaped in a weapons laboratory, we would expect to see a manipulated genetic code. The spike protein, which allows the virus to enter cells, appears to be a great target. Because if we could go after that spike protein and it looks like it's conserved, it looks like it's not changing, then we have a vaccine. That's the hope right now. Mm -hmm. And so far, I haven't heard any reports of viral mutations that have mutated so that the spike protein is not conserved. So, so far, it looks pretty good. However, there's another question here which is how immune are you? So I just had my second COVID shot uh, two days ago. The second, and I have the Moderna vaccine. And I will tell you the second shot wallops you. The first really? one that, yeah, I got a blasted with a headache and I think every joint in my body hurt and was very, very tired. So much worse, the first one felt like a flu shot, my arm hurt. But the second one, I felt like I had just run a marathon and I needed to, you know, rest (laughs) and walk backwards down the stairs, right? Wait, Jason, I have to say too, I've actually heard that men feel it worse than women. Men are babies compared to women. Ah, there we go. (laughs) Women have children, right? Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, uh, women are much tougher, I think, about pain than men are. But uh, but but in any case, right? So, so part of me thinks, okay, that's good. I got wallop, therefore the vaccine works. It immunologically stimulated me. However, there are some people we we may have heard of T cell therapy. There are people who get blood cancers, and if you get a particular type of blood cancer it's believed that it can be cured. And that's Hmm. because you can take someone's T cells and you can engineer them to attack that blood cancer. And that's, Novartis is doing that and Gilead is doing that. But when they administer this T cell therapy, 
it works so effectively that you get what's called a cytokine storm. The immune systems of the patients go crazy. Now, mm -hmm. the physicians are on standby. They're waiting for the cytokine storm, and they have an armamentarium of, of methods, particularly drug therapy, to treat this. In the case of the COVID vaccine, there may be some patients that are more immunologically reactive than others, right? I was a, on a scale of one to 10, I guess I was a five. My wife was probably a three. Hmm. Those six patients out of 6 million people were like a hundred. So they were so immunologically supercharged that the moment they got hit with the COVID vaccine, their bodies went crazy and one person died. Wow. And now so we're talking about the J&J &J vaccine. They yeah. got a blood clot, but the blood clot probably was an artifact of the cytokine storm and an immunological reaction. So now immediately the government is in a crisis, right? Because there are already people, and you did a wonderful job of saying, ah, I don't get the flu vaccine. Some of us, lots of people, you know, don't want to do certain things. That, and that's fine. We have the right not to do it. Uh, if you're not traveling into the city every day, then I don't really need the COVID vaccine, right? If I'm not in a high exposure situation. My son at University of Wisconsin is around thousands of kids, you know, I, but the good news is he's young and for him, COVID is not very lethal, right? The lethality rate is so low, but certainly we're in a situation where people who have vaccine hesitancy are now gonna say, whoa, you know, some people died from this. The mm -hmm. government, the FDA, the CDC is going to say, wait a second, this is one out of one million. If we look at birth control drugs, if we look at hormone replacement therapy, it may be that one out of 100,000 people gets a blood clot. So your odds are much safer with the J&J &J vaccine than they are with, say, hormone replacement therapy. However, that's, it's different, right? Because you look at it differently. Maybe you've decided at a point in your life that that's something you want to pursue and you find the risk acceptable versus a COVID vaccine that feels like it's being forced on us. And what's disturbing, and people shouldn't ignore this, is the very mixed signals that we're getting from the White House, the CDC, and the FDA. It seems really strange that if it's one out of a million people, we're putting a pause. By the way, what's a pause? I've never heard well, that's, of that. Is, I know. I mean, I think that's been confusing for people, too, because you know, there's a pause, but I think at the same time too, some of the politicians are saying, we're not telling you, you can't do it. Right. You can't so so, it. That's, so that's, what does it I've mean? I've never heard of a pause, right? In all of right. my 25 years of doing this, I have never heard of the FDA saying we're doing a pause, which means you can use it if you want to, but we think you probably shouldn't until we have more data. It's, it's, it's kind of weird, right? Either 
stop it for and say we're going to stop this for a month which is what the europeans did with the astrazeneca vaccine or or don't stop it and say look one in a million is pretty good i think what's happening is anecdotal other reports are coming in and that the real numbers might be much higher than we're being told and if that's the case then why wouldn't we just shift to the mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna versus the viral vector vaccines from uh, AstraZeneca and J&J? So- and can you just oh, describe, yeah, can you just describe viral vector yeah. versus Moderna so, and so, Pfizer? So, uh, real simply, their target, they both have packages they're delivering. And the packages are designed to stimulate the immune system. What does the package hold? It holds that conserved sequence. So the idea is I inject you in some cases with mRNA and what happens is the immune cells grab the mRNA and they go, this is a foreign invader, start putting it in the memory banks. And if you see this sequence ever again in the body, immediately find it and kill it. The greatest analogy to this is, and I'm, I'll date myself, the movie <laughs> The Fantastic Voyage. Okay, and I don't a, know it. <laughs> as a young teenager, I got to see Raquel Welch in a wetsuit inside a submarine that was miniaturized to a drop of water and injected into the human body. And when she went swimming outside in this plasma of the body, monoclonal antibodies, which looked like sponges, grabbed her and started attacking her. Well, that's what the monoclonal antibodies body do. do. So what you're trying to do is stimulate monoclonal Wait, antibodies. Jason, she, Ra Raquel Welch, in other words, influenced your career choice. Totally. I knew I had okay. to go into science at that point. <laughs> exactly. And become a scuba diver, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, so, it, sorry, it, go it, on. It, I interrupted. Yeah, no, no, it's, that's great. Uh, you know, these are the things that you remember, right? So, so a viral vector vaccine is different. Here we're using a harmless virus to bring the package to the cell and then inject the package into the cell. So I don't know and I can't explain why is a Turner Santeris or J&J's vaccine seeing this immune stimulation effect? You know, they are a one-shot vaccine versus mRNA, which is two shots. One shot is critically important if we think about inoculating Africa or South America. You know, there, there may be certain regions where two shots is going to be really arduous and difficult. The cold chain custody for mRNA versus viral vector is very different. The J&J &J vaccine is basically refrigerated. So, so that, you know, there are lots of reasons why we want the J&J &J or AstraZeneca vaccine to work. Mm -hmm. It may be that it's a more potent initially vaccine, mm. right? But, but again, we come back to this idea that does one size fit all? And, and the answer is no. And so one of the criticisms that physicians that I'm talking with are leveling 
at the government's mass vaccine approach is, shouldn't we be immunologically testing people before we vaccinate them? I mean, what if you've already had COVID and I vaccinate you? Could that overstimulate you? What, what happened to these six people? What was so unique about them? I, I don't know. We haven't seen the data. So, so, you know, scientists, physician scientists are looking to understand if there's a way to tell before people are vaccinated whether they might overreact. Right. And so that work yeah. hasn't been done yet. And, you know, why hasn't it been done? Well, normally the timeline for developing a new vaccine is seven years. Now, right. now the, the, does the risk outweigh the benefits? I mean, sorry, do the benefits outweigh the risk? And, you know, you would argue, yes, they really do. And economically, when we think about the impact of COVID, my God, you know, we got to open up. And, you know, the, the craziness of our children not being in sports and being in school, the craziness of uh, uh, overdose rates, suicide rates, you know, people are not factoring in other effects. And if you lump all of those in, again, that's even more compelling that the benefits outweigh the rests. So I, I do believe that they're gonna come to a, a understanding and that they may be able to predict which people are more susceptible to a anaphylactic type reaction from a COVID shot, which is incredibly rare. But, mm -hmm. but again, the paranoid conspiracy part of me wonders, is the government not telling us something, right? And you look at the state of the U.S. government, you look at the state of U.S. media, CNN is on TV today, reports that they admitted that they were, uh, had a propaganda-based message to elect Trump, right? They had one of the senior producers of CNN on tape talking about that he knew it was propaganda. You, you know, so, so my point is that there's a great distrust of the media today. And mm -hmm. so it's a very, you know, a lot of different factors are coming into play at exactly the same time, when in the end, all we really want is to open up. And yeah. the, the reality is, even without any COVID vaccine, the chances of you dying of COVID are incredibly low. So, it, but Jason, let me, let me stop you on that for one second, because um, you know, I think that in Canada anyway, or at least in Ontario, um, the cases have really been increasing because we've been so slow at rolling out the vaccine. We just really didn't have the supply. We may have had the deals done and I've interviewed the procurement and, uh, minister going back. I, I think it was probably seven months ago, whenever it was, it's gotta be longer than that. But, uh, when they first got some, some deals made. And, um, but we didn't get the details and I respected not getting the details because, you know, if you're doing a deal, former, you know, working on Wall Street person, you don't want to always give the deals, you can't. Um, but then here it comes and we're so slow in terms of actually getting the supply. So having said that, now we've got increasing cases, we're in lockdown again. And the worst, I don't know if it's the worst part, but we've got the variants. 
it seems as though I, I don't know, I hate giving numbers if I don't know, but so I won't give a number, but a majority of the new COVID cases are the variants, which do appear to be more contagious and, and more deadly. So to your point about not being deadly, maybe the old COVID, what about the new variants? And we just don't have the hospitals and the ICU facilities to, or probably even the staff to help. So, no, so, so, so I have not heard about an increased lethality, but it, it may be out there. Okay. But what's changed and what's reduced the mortality is our ability to treat patients, understanding exactly when a patient is at risk of going on a ventilator, if they go on a ventilator, what drugs are most effective. And, you know, I would talk a little bit about when Trump got COVID and he took the Regeneron monoclonal antibody cocktail. That was a cocktail that's your body, when we take a vaccine, we're asking our body to make monoclonal antibodies, the same ones that attacked Raquel Welch, to attack that virus. But what if we just made monoclonal antibodies in a lab and injected them into you? Well, that's exactly what Regeneron has developed. Eli Lilly is developing it too. A company I follow that I like, that I have a buy rating on, Sorrento, S-R-N-E, is doing that as well. If you could be injected with, let's say you go to the hospital, you're having trouble breathing, you're not anywhere near a ventilator yet, before you progress, if we could smash you with monoclonal antibodies and we could stop the virus from infiltrating your lungs any further, we could potentially change the course of the disease and reduce the mortality. And I believe that's exactly what happened with Trump. Rather than allow the disease to potentially progress, they administered a cocktail of monoclonal antibodies. It's a Regeneron product. And what I think of is the monoclonal antibodies are acting like sponges and they're sopping up all the COVID virus in the body. By, by pulling the virus out of the body, rendering it ineffective, uh, uh, you then allow the immune system to fight the virus that the monoclonal antibodies haven't gotten to, and you prevent the disease from cascading. So I think that that is going to turn out to be a really promising therapy that will reduce the mortality associated with COVID. Okay. I, I, I do believe that masks are, you know, they make sense, right? It just makes sense. It makes sense in flu season. Um, I'm married 25 years. <laughs> and uh, my lovely wife and I met in Japan. And I remember 25 years ago, I would see Japanese people on the street wearing surgical masks. And that was the oddest thing. And my wife would explain to me, well, they probably have a cold right? They're being polite and considerate of other people. So, you know, all throughout Asia, people have been wearing masks for a long, long time. Now, I don't think you need to wear a mask everywhere, but certainly if you're coughing, you, you know. Oh, yeah. It, it just makes sense, right? 
a combination of herd immunity, because a lot of people have had COVID, vaccines, mask wearing, social distance are going to allow us to reopen. Mm-hmm. Canada will reopen. I've heard the stories when you visit Canada that you're going <laughs> to the hotel room. You know, oh, in yeah. Japan, you know, it's two weeks in the hotel. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Canada, it's only a couple of days, right? Yeah. 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 So, so, but, but, you know, I, I, I things are going to open up. Uh, I am hopeful that the vaccines will show that they're effective against mutations. The question I have in my head is mm-hmm. how well do the vaccines work and how long is the immunity good for? And so let me bring up a really interesting name that I follow. Okay. And it does something that I've never seen a company do before. It's called Aditax. Ticker symbol is ADTX. It's a microcap company. Dawson James took this company public. So Dawson James is their banker. So you shouldn't trust anything I say. But, <laughs> but the reality is that they do something, give you, they give you what's called an Aditex score. So they give you an immune test and they tell you, do you have immunity to COVID? How immune are you to COVID? Is your immune system's health on a scale of one to 10, a 10 or a one. If you're going in for say cancer treatment, you probably want to have an immune score. So this is not a COVID test. This doesn't determine if you have COVID, it determines if you're immune to COVID. This sounds pretty amazing. But so, but how, how long has this company been in existence? uh, You know, the C it's a new company at IPO this year. The CEO has been you know, working on the technology for a couple of years, but he's got it. He's actually producing these tests today and, you know, they're executing their business model. I I think it's a really interesting idea. And a conversation I had with the CEO yesterday, I said, you know what, Amro, I just got my second shot. I want to have a test to see if I'm immune to COVID. He said, absolutely, you should. And then after I have the test, I'm going to publish the results and kind of show what it looks like and in my notes. Oh, wow. By the way, anybody who's interested in these companies or any of the companies I cover, they can see them on our website, which is Mm -hmm. Dawson James. Our research is open architecture. Anybody can look at it. I will never publish anything, by the way, that I don't fundamentally believe in, right? Mm -hmm. So just, you know, I take those disclosures very seriously. But, you know, Aditex is interesting. There will be other companies following that. But testing, testing, testing is what I see in our future. Okay. Uh, if, if you go into the hospital for any reason, even a small procedure, they will ask you to be tested before you go in. Because tested they, for COVID? Yes. Yes. So really? I, is that, that happening? It is happening. I will tell you, I had a knee surgery and it required, you know, several COVID tests. Wow. Yeah. So, so, and you know, there, there are going to be other events that will require COVID testing, right? We talked about air travel, you know, there, there will, I can envision that there will be required. I'd rather be tested for COVID than quarantine for two weeks in Korea or Japan. 
Absolutely. Right. So, so, <laughs> so testing is going to be part of our future. And that leads me to the last name I'd mentioned, which is Prophase, ticker symbol PPRH. It's a pure play on COVID testing. So people ask me, what about an at-home test? What would you do if you got an at-home kit and you tested positive for COVID? What would you do next? I'd stay at home. You wouldn't call your doctor? Yeah, I'd call my doctor. All right. And let's say after the next day, you have a slight fever and you don't feel good. I, I mean, I'd just be, I'd probably be panicking. I mean, that's the truth. Right. Well, I don't <laughs> think you'd panic, but I think at some point you're going to go, I probably should have a consultation with someone, right? Right. What's the first thing your doctor's going to do when he sees you? Test you? Yeah, he's going to test you. He's going to say, maybe you got a false positive. That's an right. at-home test. I'm not going to rely on my medical practice and my judgment on a test you bought over the counter from who knows where. So mm -hmm. he's going to take a test and he's going to send it to, say, Prophase Labs. So there is always going to be a need for institutional, high-quality, FDA-approved tests where we know the specificity, we know the accuracy of the test. You know, there's nothing wrong with an at-home test, but if you take an at-home test for pregnancy, the first thing you're doing is to see your obstetrician and get a blood test. Right. right. You're like, <laughs> I, I'm, it's really interesting. I want proof. Right, right. But wait, let me ask you this. Like, why prophase? Um, you know, what are LabCorp is Perfect doing question. the tests? Perfect question. And I'm going to answer it with a metaphor, which is, does J&J's earnings, will they be impacted by, the, by what's happening with their COVID vaccine? No. No, why not? It's too big. Too big. Same the medical thing. equipment company as well. Same, yeah. same thing. I don't think the COVID test moves the scale at a Quest or at a Roche, right? It's not, you know, they're doing, it, it will be maybe incrementally positive, but if Prophase captures a big share of the testing markets in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania-based company, if they capture a 10% share of that market, the stock's a home run. So but, when, let, but let me ask you this though, Jason, why, I mean, how do they compete against Quest Diagnostics and LabCorp? Um, you know, how is it that they're the one, do they have a great sales team? What, so yeah, I mean, can so, they so, scale? Good, good, also good questions. Great CEO. Okay. And the CEO had an OTC a pharmaceutical company that he's kind of re-engineered. He saw the opportunity in testing. He had some testing capability. He re-engineered it early on for COVID. He saw how well the business was doing at his corporate offices, I believe in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And he mm -hmm. said, let's capture this market. Went out, raised 10 or 20 million, I, I don't even remember, but I, they have a lot of cash on the balance sheet today. Dawson James was involved. We are mm -hmm. one of their bankers, but then built a new facility for processing just COVID tests, just opened that facility in Garden City. I visited it, it's beautiful. 
And what's great is with just a tiny little piece of the COVID market, their revenues explode. So, you know, they're competing on quality, price, service. They're the small guy that's going to like all the school districts on Long Island and saying, we'll be your exclusive COVID supplier. So, you know, again, this idea that one size fits all, not everybody, you know, will use Quest Medical. When you go to your doctor, right, he's already got a relationship with Quest. But where Quest maybe doesn't have the same relationships is at a baseball game or at an airport or in a school district. Uh, my son is at University of Madison. Madison now has their own COVID testing center. And in order to go to the gym, you have to be tested every week. So Tosier hasn't been testing once. He's been tested like 50 times. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so, you know, when you think about if you were prophase and you captured the CW Post or the Hofstra University, you know, that might be a couple of million dollars worth of business that in a micro cap company really impacts the bottom line. And so that's the myth. Yeah, but Jason, are you then, you know, given it's almost as though there's a whole new opportunity set for a company like Prophase, to your point about the gym or the baseball game where, you know, Quest or Labcorp might not be in because there was no reason in the past to be there. So, you know, it's, it's wide open in many ways. At the same time, how do you, as an analyst, even model the revenue potential or the growth rate? Because that's what, we, that's what we need to know in order to know what we want to pay for the stock. Absolutely. And I challenged myself, right? This was very challenging for Adatex and for Prophase. And I did something I've really never done before. I put together a grid. And on the x-axis, I had, what's the margin that this company will make per test, right? And I said, well, the worst case is it'll be $30. And the best case, it'll be $60 per test. And then what's the overall market for testing, call it 325 million Americans, let's assume that everybody gets tested once, which means Tucker who got tested 50 times and other people who've never been tested balance out, right? So I Mm -hmm. think these are reasonable conservative assumptions. And then what's the market opportunity for Prophase? What if they get 5% share? or 10%, 10% share, 15% share. So I modeled that out. And what I looked at is in the most conservative setting, the stock was undervalued by around 150 to 200%. In wow. a more aggressive setting, it could be 1,000%. Mm-hmm. So what, when I think of biotech investing or healthcare investing, I look at it two ways. I love to own a Johnson and Johnson or a Pfizer in my portfolio. You know, it's a great solid company. If J and J goes bankrupt, I'm pretty sure it's the end of the United States. <laughs> oh God, Jason. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I just think that there are certain companies that are so tied into the world, right? Right. Doesn't mean that J and J. I own Boston Scientific. Great company. I bought them when they acquired Guidant. The stock went from 20 down to three. 
you know, it's back wow. to 40. It only took 10 years for that cycle to play out, right? Right. But really good. I, I own General Electric. I've watched General Electric go from 20 down to four and start to recover. Mm -hmm. My point is that really good companies, you're okay over time, right? The most, the most precious asset that an investor has is time. It's time, not money, time. Mm -hmm. What biotech guys want is return. They'll take risk, but they want return. What I'm looking for when I pick stocks is stocks that have the potential for extraordinary return, but with manageable risk. And so that's why I've tried to model the conservative cases for a company like Aditex or a company like Prophase. Conservatively, if they just execute and they get the lowest margin and the lowest share, the stocks can still work. But if it really hits, if they do better than I think, then yeah, you could get a very big return. And so hmm. to me, I'm never interested in owning a biotech stock. I found many biotech stocks that are $4 and I see the analysts launching them with a $6 price target. Hmm. Not interested. Right. I'd love to put my entire <laughs> net worth in a $4 stock and have it go to six. That'd be great. Right. But I'd much rather buy Pharmacet at a dollar and let Gilead buy it from me at 140, right? right? The dream of biotech is that there's real upside. So you, you can never fundamentally identify 40 to 140, but you could identify four to 20 or mm -hmm. four to 30. And so what I'm looking for is, what's my risk that this company is gonna go bankrupt, I'll get destroyed? Is it binary risk that drug fails and we're dead? Is it mm -hmm. execution risk? Can management really execute? So in the case of Prophase, you know, I spent a lot of time with the CEO. I visited the plant. I saw the employees. I saw the samples. I met the sales team. And they're executing. So I'm like, okay, they're on the way. Therefore, I think my risk is de minimis. And guess what? They've raised money already. What who are I they raising? Jason, who are they raising money from? And I'm asking that, you know, because... Um, you know, like I'm invest, I'm an investor and, sure. you know, I have done, I mean, I, I, I'm across the board. I'm very diversified and, and a lot of, you know, it's whether it's real estate or gaming or, you know, and, and a lot of those things come more on the private equity side. So who's, who's funding some of these biotech, small cap, micro cap companies? I, you know, I think this is going to be a topic for our next podcast. Banking, okay. <laughs> the role of banking and equity research and biotech. But, but I, I will tell you that I've seen three or four types of banking deals in the microcap sector. One deal was the, what I'd like to call the fast money deals. So if a microcap company has liquidity, its, sh its shares are trading, there is a group of investors five or six, they're this institutional mafia in biotech, right? Okay. They do all yep. the biotech deals. They'll buy any liquid stock at $2. Uh, they'll buy any liquid stock at a 20% discount to the price where it closed that day. 
as long as they get the 20% discount and maybe a five-year warrant. Wow. Wow. So the next day, the good news is the company got the money. They got 20 million. Their stock immediately opens down 20%. And maybe it goes down another 20% because people realize that they didn't just add 10 million shares, diluting themselves by 40%. But when you calculate the fully diluted value, including the warrants, it's like 100% dilution. And so the stock goes down. Yeah. And what happens six months later? They're out of money. They need to raise again. They do another fast money transaction. So I would characterize this as the death spiral. Okay. And the danger is that when banks, small banks, could be Dawson James, who I work for, could be others. We try not to do these deals, right? But it, you know, it's very hard, right? This is an inherent conflict in Wall Street, where on the one hand, you want to make money. On the other hand, fundamentally, as an analyst, if a company doesn't have enough capital, I'm nervous that maybe they're going to raise, and it won't be an accretive raise. It'll be a mm -hmm. dilutive raise. Absolutely. And what, I, what I really don't want is a dilutive, concentrated, fast money raise. Because the next day, all of those funds have flipped out of the stock. Yep. Right. Now, that's very different than a fundamental raise where a great healthcare institution like Fidelity or Deerfield says, we support this, we support it long term. You can announce that we're the anchor in this raise. You know, that could have the opposite effect of the stock going up, saying, wow, the guys at Deerfield, the guys at Orbimet are really smart. So if they're investing in this, I want to invest too. Mm -hmm. And then there's what Dawson James and most of my career has been involved with retail. Retail hmm. guys are smarter than ever before. The playing field is becoming more level because of things like this podcast. Yeah. And so retail, if we can raise five or $10 million from retail, it tends to be friendlier terms, right? But in the case of Prophase or the case of Aditax, their balance sheets are funded through the next series of fundamental catalysts. So therefore, we should be okay. okay. So what I'm looking for as an analyst is manage risk which includes, do you have enough capital on the balance sheet? You can Definitely. fundamentally love the company, but if you know they're going to raise money and let's say their last bank was famous for fast money transactions, that's a mm -hmm. huge red flag. Right. Meaning yeah. a warning sign. Maybe, maybe you want to wait till they have capital before you get, because you risk getting diluted. Yes. Yeah. No, that's always my concern too. And I mean, you know, if I look at and go into small deals, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to get diluted. Like what was my assurance against that? Um, so, so Jason, you feel comfortable though, with those two names in terms of where they're at in their capital raise or balance sheets, et cetera. I, I do. And we write on them very constantly. And again, okay. before anybody invests or buys those stocks, don't buy it because I'm telling you to. But I would say, go read our reports, read the yeah. disclosures. I try to be very upfront about the disclosures. But you know, fundamentally, yeah, they have the types of things I'm looking for. And I agree with you. Look, 
COVID is going to be around for a while. There will be many ripples in COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Whether mm -hmm. it's the J&J &J vaccine, whether it's the Moderna vaccine, whether it's a second generation vaccine, there are going to be new treatments that will reduce the mortality rate. Testing is going to be part of our future. And, you know, God, we want to put COVID in the rearview mirror. We want to open up the economy, right? Otherwise, we're all in trouble. Yeah. But even with it opening up, there's like a whole new industry around healthcare, biotech, diagnostics that's going to be funded by COVID. And, Interesting. Uh, and, you know, part of what I'm doing is trying to follow that pretty closely. Yeah, a whole a whole new area really within healthcare uh, and biotech that's related to COVID it is is in something that we probably don't talk enough about, right? Because it is so focused in the media uh, on the AstraZenecas and J and Js of the world. Um, but I just want to ask as well. So we got a couple stock ideas. We were we've been understanding a lot more about COVID in this longer format discussion because I am always kind of curious about you know, my immune strength and that added text, like can an individual, I mean, I'm sure I can't. I I'm, gonna have to, I, I'm gonna have the CEO <laughs> reach out to you and I'm gonna have him send you the added text kit and you'll okay, swab well, yourself and he's gonna, uh, you're gonna send it back to him and he's gonna tell you your text score, maybe add text score, maybe you do a podcast with him. That'd be cool. Yeah, his but name look, is look. Amro, Amro Albana, and I'll have him reach out to you. Okay. Yeah, I feel you like should I... definitely. And by the way, and Ted Kark, who's a pro phase, will I'll have you reach out to him too, right? Okay. And, you know, he can do a COVID test for you. But Okay, you, I will do that, that for sure. But, 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 wait, but, can, but, can, but Jason, can individuals, so, so I'm going to get that test and I'm going to try to see how strong my, immune is, my immunity is. And will that be for... Is it strictly for COVID right now or other, like, do I get an overall health score? What is it? Exactly. So it isn't strictly for COVID, right? The, he, he does have the capacity. You have a menu, right? And he can check the COVID box on the menu and you're going to get your immune status on COVID. Not immune, you haven't been exposed to the virus, right? You can also look at your, you know, do you have autoimmune disease? Do you have rheumatoid arthritis? You know, what is your general immunological health look like? So, so that would be really interesting to know, right? And yeah. certainly if you've been a cancer survivor, maybe you've had radiation or chemotherapy, I'd want to monitor my immune status, right? Yeah. And, and, and so when we, you know, we're bombarded with the ads on TV, if you have joint pain, you know, all of these natural OTC products, you know, the number one thing that we can do to protect our immunity is get sleep. Really? Because well, I love sleep. In fact, <laughs> me too. And if Seriously? You, That's if so you, interesting. If you sleep well, you're less likely to get very sick from COVID. You know, I sleep religiously, honest to God, eight hours and 11 minutes. I mean, I'm <laughs> clockwork. I am not kidding. And I make sure I get it, you know, and I almost and lately, you know, because now I'm not in my regular work life. Like I was at, you know, Goldman and then BNN Bloomberg. And I was starting well, to- you never slept at all in that time. Well, yeah, at Goldman, I probably never did, but 
but you know, TV world, I did, I definitely did. I had to, you almost had to be live on air, you know, for hours and hours. Not that you didn't on a trading desk too, but I was younger then. Um, but, um, but, you know, I started to say to myself, I'm going to, I'm going to just start getting up at 5.00 AM. And then I'm like, okay, well then I have to get to bed really early. And then I'm like, well, why am I doing that to myself? Why don't I just be natural and, and just always make sure I get my eight hours and, and call it a day. I don't know, but, well, I, but it's interesting. That- the value that we bring to ourselves, our families, our profession. If, if I tried to have this discussion with young Tucker at 21, it would just go in one ear and out the other. Because right? <laughs> at 21, you're indestructible. But you know, yeah. clearly sleep is an important part of our health. But I do believe that knowing your immune status and being able to monitor it is is a good thing, Mm -hmm. especially in the case of a pandemic, right? So absolutely, you know, and I I think as well, you know, this has played so many mind games on people as well. You know, we talked about the, the impact on children, but, you know, I certainly know, you know, many people my age, like it, it's been tough and, and certainly elder, the elders, my mom, it's, it's been so difficult. Brutal. So brutal. it's, it is brutal. Um, and not being able to hug anybody is, is brutal. Um, uh, brutal and restaurants and, you know, my, my office in Manhattan, we've essentially closed it down and, you know, there's five or six restaurants I would go to every day, you know, throughout the week. And, you know, what yeah. are they doing? New York yeah. City has become a ghost town. Um, yeah. You know, you know, I'm worried, right? So we were talking when, in your introduction, you were like, well, what's the outlook overall? I'm very right. worried about the market, the economy. I'm you very, are. Wait, oh, you are? The, the, the massive amount of funds that the U.S. is pouring into the market is, is driving the market up. But at some point, the, you know, we're going to see inflation. And you point to, have we structurally fixed the economy? No, absolutely not. The parking lot in my area for the train station is empty. Mm-hmm. People, I, I haven't worn a suit. Don't tell anybody uh-huh. for a while. <laughs> so, so, I know. so, you know, there, there are structural changes occurring in the economy as a result of COVID. Dry cleaners, mm-hmm. restaurants, the migration out of the cities. So, so you know, I'm not quite uh, airlines. I have a lot of friends who are pilots, and you know, some of them have not flown in a long time. They're going to have to recertify. Right. So, so, so uh, you know, the the uh, hospitality industry, Las Vegas casinos, mm-hmm. sporting events. You, you know, things are not at all back to normal yet. And, you know, pumping massive stimulus is driving the market, but we know that just printing money is a temporary solution. So, you know, but don't do what I say, because I've been, I thought the market was in trouble three months ago and it continues to make new highs. So when will we hit this inflection point? I don't know. That's why... I'm looking at one of two things, great fundamentals, a and j and you write it out over time, yeah. or something small enough where I can see how they're operating and they're executing. And I think that even independent of the economy, if they execute, they'll be fine. And that's yeah, kind of my that. research strategy 
in Understood. terms of how we're focusing. Understood. So we'll wrap it up there. But one last question to follow up. I know now I'm going to get this out of text, which I'm thrilled. But what about people listening? Like, where can they get this? Can they buy it online? I'm sure they can't. Who has this? Is it is it FDA approved? What, when can no, other people All of them? those people who want that answer are going to have to tune into the next podcast. Okay. And <laughs> okay. Right? That's fair. That's yeah. fair. And I, Amro, I think I'll let I'll leave that to Amro how to address it. I, okay. I I I suspect I know the answer, but I would I will absolutely have both of those CEOs follow up with you. Okay. Um, this Great. has been a pleasure. Really enjoy it, and Same. I look forward to uh, we'll coming back on and doing the next one. Sounds excellent, Jason. Thank you so much. You got it. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.